to those gathered in hope who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let us worship God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. and sisters, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me.
our Lord Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. turn this morning to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, the first 14 verses. Listen then for the voice of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out, the, set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he carried and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your own son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bruce Springsteen fell in love with and married Patty Scalfa, the redheaded backup singer in the E Street Band. At the birth of their first child, Springsteen wrote these lyrics. Well, now on a summer night in a dusky room, come a little piece of the Lord's undying light, crying like he swallowed the fiery moon. In his mother's arms, it was all the beauty I could take, like the missing words to some prayer, well, that I could never make. Oh, in a world so hard and dirty, so fouled and confused, searching for a little bit of God's mercy, I found living proof. That's a beautiful image, and one that you may know to be true. In a world that can be hard and dirty, fouled and confused, there are expressions of God's mercy. I've seen it in my children and the birth of our grandson. I've seen it in your faces and in moments of hope and healing and human kindness. I've seen living proof. Maybe you have too. We pick up our text after God picks out Abraham and Sarah and promises that he'll make of them a great nation. Except years later, Sarah is still childless, so they conspire to take matters into their own hands, and Abraham sleeps with Hagar, the North African slave girl, who gives birth to Ishmael. Eventually, God doubles down on his promise, and in her late 90s or early 100s, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. God promised, and God provided. Isaac was living proof. And they laughed for joy until tears ran down their cheeks. Only now... God is asking Abraham to revoke his proof. Now, God is asking Abraham to kill his son, the one whom he loves. What kind of father would do such a thing? What kind of God would ask such a thing? Let's 
Let's sit with that for a moment. Isaac was the first installment on God's promise. But now the command of God was that Isaac be killed. Biblical Hebrew has five words for sacrifice. None of those words are used here. The word here is slaughter or slay. There's no mistaking, and we belittle the text if we make of it a God who tests and tinkers in jest. We best take God at his word here. And it seems cruel and abusive and absurd. John Calvin's take is this. The command and the promise of God are in conflict. Luther calls it a contradiction. I think one of the reasons why this story is so repugnant is that we live in a culture where happiness is the highest good. When our daughter was getting married and we were doing pre-wedding rigmarole, I can't tell you how many conversations included some form of, well, all that matters is that they're happy. And I surely don't disagree or want anything other than their happiness, but there is no way to make sense of this story when our first priority is our children's happiness. This story must get at some other grounding, some other priority, some other truth. Listen to the angle that Calvin carves out here. Calvin writes that the real anguish is not the death of a son, but the death of faith, in his words. It was sad for him to be deprived of his only son. Sadder still that this son should be torn away by a violent death. And by far the most grievous that he himself should be appointed as the executioner to slay him with his own hand. But all of these things, if we compare them with the spiritual conflict of conscience which he endured, will appear like a mere play or shadow of conflicts. For the great source of grief to him was not his own bereavement, not that he was commanded to slay his only heir, but that in the person of his son, the whole salvation of the world should be extinguished and to perish. For God requires the death of the boy to whose person he himself has annexed the hope of eternal salvation so that this later command was, in a certain sense, the destruction of faith. Faith over life? Come on, God. The death of living proof? The covenant and the command of God conflict, collide, contradict, confound, 
Therefore, contemporary readings of this story often see it as the dismantling of a system of sacrifice. Bear with me. In the development of religion, humanity hung its hopes on idols and amulets and sacrifices, even human sacrifices, to appease the gods. A flood could wipe out a village. A virus could kill the weak. A season of sun and gentle rain could mean prosperity. So people developed religious practices meant to appeal to the gods behind creation's power. And this story turns that practice on its head. This God doesn't need appeasement. Rather, this God provides. This God doesn't take. This God gives. This God doesn't require sacrifice. This God calls forth faith. Is that good enough? The whole thing is a dramatization about a new way of understanding God. That, too, seems to belittle or brush aside the humanity and the horror in the story. When Abraham sees Mount Moriah in the distance, he grabs a torch, a knife, and he straps the wood to Isaac's shoulders. And then, just as they are about to leave, he turns to his servants and says, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. The pronouns are plural. So either Abraham is in on the dramatization and expects to come back with Isaac, or he doesn't want to blow his cover. My guess is that Abraham expects that he will return with his son. Abraham believes that God will provide. Why would God promise one thing and then command another? Why would God revoke his living proof? A few years ago, Ted Boswell was in a good deal of back pain his balance and his gait were compromised, and he needed spinal cord surgery. When I saw him in recovery, he knew that the surgery had been only marginally successful, and he was wondering what would come next. In that hospital room, we talked, told stories, laughed, commiserated, and prayed. And as I turned to go, Ted said, Raj, the, the night before surgery, I read this beautiful prayer by Thomas Akempis from the 1400s, 600 years ago. Let me see if I can remember it. And flat on his back, he said, O oh Lord, you know what is best for us. Let this or that be done as you please. Give what you will, and how much you will, and when you will. Deal with me as you think good and as best pleases you. Set me where you will, and deal with me in all things just as you will. 
for I am your servant prepared for all things, for I desire not to live unto myself, but unto you, and oh, that I could do it worthily and perfectly. Amen. Ted's eyes lit up with a measure of peace. It was a deep, hard-won peace, recognizing that our confidence is not in our strength or our service or our sacrifice, but our confidence is in God. For come what may, God will provide. At the end of the story, Abraham names the place Yahweh Hira, the Lord provides. He doesn't name it Abraham Shema, Abraham obeyed. For finally, this story is not about Abraham's faith being tested and being found faithful, but it is about God, even an inscrutable God, being found faithful. You know, everything is stripped away on Mount Moriah. There is no hope in human agency. There's no confidence in fertility. There's no making things right. There's no piety that changes the deal. There's little light or hope. The death of Isaac nullifies the promise. Well, dear friends, in this world, so hard and dirty, so fouled and confused. We will all face moments when everything is stripped away. The shadow of a knife will hang over our heads. We will be bound up in brokenness. We will be flat on our backs. Our life with God may conflict and confound. But, but the promise of God finally led God in deep anguish of soul to hoist the wood of sacrifice on his son's shoulders and climb that rugged mountain. God promised and God provided. Jesus Christ is both son and ram in the thicket living proof. Or as Bruce Springsteen writes, well now all that's sure on the boulevard is that life is just a house of cards, as fragile as each and every breath of this boy sleeping in our bed. Tonight let's lie beneath the eaves, babe, just a close band of happy thieves. And when that train comes, we'll get on board. And steal what we can from the treasures, the treasures of the Lord. It's been a long, long drought, baby. Tonight, the rain's pouring down on our roof. Oh, looking for a little bit of God's mercy, I found living proof. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Abraham and Isaac, a poem by Marilyn Chandler McIntyre. He really meant to do it. All it took was an angel's merest touch to stop him, but the boy's hands were tied. The father's fingers wrapped around his jaw, perhaps to smother him one paltry act of mercy before the fatal slice. What kind of God would require such appalling fidelity? What kind of father could bear to imagine the blade leaving its trail of red in the tender skin of a throat no beard has covered? What would it take? What must be the magnitude of a love that would go this far? The look in Abram's eye is crazed. The angel's message relieves him though all his life some madness will haunt him, and Sarah will follow his steps with darkened eyes. You don't have to do this anymore. Another father will take your place. Another son will be led to slaughter. The promise will be fulfilled. Israel's seed will be planted. Let him grow old and die.
Our Father in heaven, we know that right from the start, Jesus wants us to get it straight. If we don't trust you like children, if we don't lean on you like kids do with good parents, then this prayer won't amount to much. But we do trust you, Father, and know that you listen as we pray. We want your name to be hallowed and praised. Reveal who you are again so that we know you better and it makes a difference in us because we do. Help us to see how busy you are for good as the God who provides and protects. May this lead us to provide for and protect others. Keep us from the tragedy of blaspheming your name by offering up a cozy faith. Make us restless whenever we accept the way things are rather than work for what should be. Father, we want to see your kingdom come. We know that this starts with our hearts, so rule us by your word and spirit. Show us that the good life is really the kingdom life when we're tempted to look elsewhere. Keep your church strong wherever the gospel reaches hearts and threatens other kingdoms. Bless our church, our pastor's good work, and the leaders you give us. Show us how to live in and for the community around us. Show evil that you're in charge and that its days are numbered. And keep doing this until your kingdom is all that remains forever. Father, do your will here on earth, just as it is done in heaven. Help us to do your will out of joy and not obligation or burden. Help us to do it without any backtalk because you know what is best. And help everyone, female and male, old and young, do the good work you call us to. And give us today a clearer vision of your call, the strength and courage to live it, and the comfort of being caught up in your work. Keep us going each day, one day at a time, with bread from your hand. Father, we lean on you again. You know what we need, and you alone can deliver. We know deep down that you provide. Keep us from anxious worry and help us to seek your kingdom first. Today we remember Eleanor DeYoung, Patty DeYoung, and Carol Weingarten, and commit them to your care. We pray also for those who struggle with chronic disease, all who search for joy in life, all who long for hope again, all institutions which wrestle with racism or should, and for this divided nation, send healing and use us in the healing. Keep us, Father, forgiven with you and forgiving others. It's good to know that because of Jesus, you completely forgive and forget our sins. Such gracious and thorough love overwhelms us. And now help us to have that kind of loving and forgiving memory with those who wrong us. Father, keep us from our weaknesses and from evil's clutches. When we're honest about ourselves, we are weak indeed. You alone can make us strong. You know how and when we're tempted. Now make us strong with the Spirit so that we can live in servant weakness for you. Father, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It is so good to know that you indeed provide. It is comforting to know that you can do anything you want and everything you do is good. And as we stumble our way toward the justice you seek for this world and this nation, encourage us in your work. 
You are ablaze with glory, and we praise you together. We pray in Jesus' name, and we are certain that you listen. Amen. hope that God provides. Go now to love God and to love neighbor, to serve God and to serve neighbor. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his light upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.